0: We know the demands of running your own dental practice and for someone to individually organize a charity day themselves, that's a very complicated thing, but that's what we're geared up to do.
1: Welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. I'm your host, David Keir, and I've I've got a question for you. I want you to think about why did you get into dentistry? I think most of us will usually answer with something along the lines of we wanted to help people and and I think we genuinely mean that. We do want to help people and we do help people in getting them out of pain and helping them restore their confidence and comfort in their smile. But often, we go into it thinking about going to help people in a charitable way as well and then somewhere along the lines, it gets a little bit lost in our day-to-day in life and this podcast today really hits home for me because that's exactly how I feel and I feel I have not done as much. I'd want to do in that space today we talk with Kate Miranda Kate is the general manager of Filling the Gap New South Wales and this is a a charity that's associated with ADA New South Wales. The name Filling the Gap was formerly for a charity based out of Queensland but the New South Wales ADA team have been able to get that name and continue the legacy that they started and this is something that's made to help dentists help the people in our community who need dentistry the most. The ones who fall through the cracks and many of these are people like asylum seekers, refugees, Indigenous Australians and vulnerable people who often don't meet public health criteria. Kate is a wonderful person and she's actually got a huge amount of experience in many different areas. She's worked in parliament, she's a trained journalist and now she's running Filling the Gap and it was a really engaging and enjoyable conversation today. I hope you're as inspired as I am by our chat and I hope this inspires many of you to get involved. In fact, they are looking for people to help them for Saturday the 18th of July and of course this comes out on the 6th of July so you've got 12 days. If you're listening to this early on, please consider signing up for that in St. Leonard's, Sydney. The rest of the resources of how you can get involved even if you're in a different state are in the show notes at dentalheadstart.com. I would love to hear how this has inspired you and if you have got involved, please reach out at dentalheadstart.com or on our social channels. It really makes me proud to be able to produce an episode like this, supporting a charity like this. And of course, it wouldn't be possible without our supporters, our sponsors. Thank you to Invisalign Australia and to Ripe Global. They make this possible. Enough from me. Enjoy the podcast with Kate Miranda. Aesthetics is not just prepping teeth. If we want to be minimally invasive, we need to use aligners or some sort of orthodontics to put the teeth in the right place before we change their form. And of course, the pioneer of this is Invisalign. They've got the most experience, the most cases have gone through their platform and the most in-depth tools to use to get your patients from where they are to where they want to be. Once you're ready to provide aligners, Invisalign Go is the perfect entry point. It's the first step in becoming an Invisalign provider, allowing you to do relatively simple cases effectively and efficiently with their online tools. Go to Invisalign-doctor.com.au to start your aligner journey today. Kate Miranda, welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast.
0: Thanks, David.
1: It's really great to have you on, Kate. And you're the general manager of Filling the Gap, which is a volunteering um initiative with the ada new south wales and i'm really excited to learn a lot about this get the information out there for general dentists and for the students um, on how they can you know help contribute and support this initiative Um, tell us a little bit about filling the gap
0: well filling the gap um was born out of an idea amongst staff at ada new south wales because members were doing a lot of volunteering and they have done a lot of volunteering in the past but it was quite ad hoc and we we've partnered with a lot of charities, and the need is just getting greater and greater. And so we decided that if we could develop our own charity and give it its own identity, then we could do so much more. We could help so many more people because we would be able to get donations, get government grants, and really get people to feel like they're a part of something bigger than um, bigger than themselves. So about 18 months ago, we went through the process of establishing Filling the Gap as its own charitable entity. And um, 18 months on, we have a network of about 70 volunteers and we are running um, clinics at ADA New South Wales. And we have um, a network of dentists across New South Wales and the ACT who take patients in their practices and, um, and treat them for free.
1: I think that that last part in particular, I think, resonates a lot because it's a way that people can help when they're not close to, say, St. Leonard's where the ADA um, uh, location is. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to getting into a lot of the detail about that, how people can help and, and get involved and all the rest of it. But I want to learn a bit about you, Kate, if that's all right. Um, so, you're not a dentist. You actually have more experience with what I'm doing right now than I do, which is pretty cool. But um, I want to ask... What's your first experience with giving back or your own personal um, charitable experience when you were younger?
0: When I was younger, um, I've always been into um, nippers and volunteer life-saving, so I've done that from a very young age and I still do that from a much older age. Um, Look, I think it's always about my personal values, and very much I have made my career and my life um, more of a for-purpose approach. So I really, I get more um, motivation and satisfaction out of doing a job that is bigger than me. And so my first foray into this, I was a journalist with the ABC for years um, in the beginning of my career. And that was a brilliant experience because it gave me the opportunity to understand the media, to understand how it works and to craft a message and to try to make sure that that message can get out to more people. So there are things that people do when they choose a job and it might be helping one person at a time in a clinician in a clinician point of view. But for me, I was, I've always wanted, was attracted to platforms where you are getting messages out, to a lot of people. But I think the thing with the media, um, is that there are limitations with it in that you can report a story, but it doesn't necessarily translate to behavioral change. And especially in something like dentistry, we're always trying to look for behavioral change, getting people to practice good prevention, getting people to clean their teeth twice a day, getting people to visit their dentist. So, um, A life in the media and starting the media for me was a fantastic beginning. And I think with journalists, some of the skills that you take into every other job are things like you have to get across a vast amount of information very quickly and then be able to distill that into bite-sized chunks, and that's quite challenging. And you also have to have um, an ability to get people to trust you. So you have to be able to build rapport with people very, very quickly. And you have to get them to open up, trust you, tell their story. And then you have to be able to communicate that in a way that people will listen. And I think they're the sorts of skills that you take to to any job through the rest of your life. They're both personal and professional skills.
1: It's, it's really interesting because I've uh, starting this Dental Head Start podcast, it was a, a thing that's to help students and graduates become good dentists, but I'm not coming from a journalist background. And what you've just said there, I realize the intricacies and the skills involved, but also how those skills are so useful in everyday life or in business or in everything else. And I think that's that interpersonal uh, relationship skills. I think all dentists need to learn that as well. I think what you said there about um, wanting to do something to help others it, to have purpose really resonates with our our listeners. How did you end up from journalism? Tell us the path from journalism to now. I know there's a little bit in between.
0: Um, well, I was always always fascinated with politics. Always fascinated with journalism. And um, I did a few years in journalism and then realised I need to understand more about government and how government operates. So I had a chance to work for the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade and I ended up in the Australian High Commission as a media advisor in London um, communicating Australian foreign policy to um, to the British media. And that was fantastic because I was young and single and living in Europe and traveling every weekend and having a fantastic life. It's the best of both life. worlds, yeah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it was brilliant. Um, and then when I returned to Australia after about four years, I had the opportunity to go into politics and it was just purely fluke. So the person who got my job in London was actually working for a federal politician in, um, in Australia and we met and his job had become vacant and we actually did a job swap and – So yeah, so I ended up working for Tony Abbott when he was Health Minister in Federal Parliament. And as I said, it happened purely by chance. But again, I'd always been fascinated with politics and with government. And if anyone who's ever worked in Parliament House, it is the most incredible opportunity that you have. I mean, even walking into Parliament, walking into the House every day, it's the most incredible building. And you really are at the heart of power. So For me, I had the opportunity to work with a cabinet minister, to work with the federal health minister. And, you know, every day briefings, um, you know, from the secretaries of the department, briefings from the AMA, you know, you're actually working with all the sort of powerful people that actually make our health department function. And I even remember when when I was working in that office, we actually did pandemic planning for H5N1. So now sitting here with my, you know, because my other hat is working for ADA New South Wales and we did a lot of the pandemic planning in our office and we'd, we'd actually been through that process in government. So I was able to take those learnings and, and apply them to my current job. And just with politics, I mean, the, it is a blood sport. There's just the thrust <laughs> of it, the daily grind, the 24-hour news cycle, you know, on the front pages of newspapers when you don't want to be, Quite often the media plays the man, not the policy. Um, But if anything, it's such an incredible experience because you learn that there's a system, there are constraints within that system, and if you ever want to get anything done, it's not just about being right or the best policy. You have to make it work within that system. And so for me, again, that was another takeaway that I have applied to every single job I've ever been in.
1: Yeah, that's a, that. Sounds like it resonates with a lot of different areas of life. If you you don't have to just have the answer, you have to get it across in the right way. And I'm sure journalism and your understanding through that would have helped so much in that time. Um, tell us a bit about what the day to day was working in Parliament or as an advisor.
0: Well, I had three meals a day in an office without a window. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the day would.
1: But you're still smiling. Yeah. You seem like you really enjoyed it. Oh, it's a
0: young man's game. a young person's game, Um, you know, we would get in at um, before 7am, read every single newspaper, go through all of the clippings and try to predict what the issues would be and try to get in front of them. Um, We'd have to prepare the minister for question time, um, things that the opposition would likely to ask. And in the middle of that, you had to do policy. So we would have somebody... Um, lobbying us coming in, trying to get an initiative through. Um, it's just a lot of it is crisis management. A lot of it is fly by the seat of your pants. A lot of it is reactionary. But you also have to try to be looking at what the next issue is ahead, and actually try and make sure that 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 you can identify it, figure out the problem, and um and find a solution before it hits the media. Unfortunately, a lot. Of politics get in, gets in the way of good policy, but that's why the you know the bureaucracy is so important, and it's why peak bodies like the AMA, like the ADA, why they're so critical because they're the ones in there when when governments are preoccupied with issues that affect their politics. That's why you need those peak bodies who can articulate a policy and and execute in getting that changed. Um, it's made me realise how critical peak bodies are in the whole political process.
1: I think the recent times, obviously, we're recording this at the hopefully the latter end of our recent COVID nineteen shutdown. And the ADA really stepped up. Um, the ADA led our profession through this, I think, and made or helped make changes in policy. Um, that allowed us to get through in the most successful way. I, I, I think they've done an astounding job. Um, were, you, were you part of, you are with ADA New South Wales as well, are you part of um, that change that happened in recent time?
0: Yeah, and it's a very big team operating. So yeah. there's the federal branch and then there's all of the state branches and it was a bit like the National Cabinet. So the, the the federal government had a role and then each state government had a role and that was like us. The federal branch had a role and then each state branch had a role but working very closely and very collaboratively together. And I think the fantastic thing about the dental profession and the ADA that was revealed through COVID-19 was the complete professionalism of dentists. So this was a case in self-regulation. So this was all unprecedented and from the top down, everybody worked together. We had an infection control committee that produced treatment guidelines and that was shown to the um, AHPPC and it really demonstrated that the dental profession led by the ADA was taking the steps to self-regulate and that's really critical because if we didn't self-regulate then we would have been regulated by government and the, the, the restrictions could have been a lot harder and a lot longer. And so I think you know, and dentists behaved so responsibly. We polled about, um, we polled our membership after it, and by far the vast majority of people followed everything. When we when we said we want to move to level three, everybody moved to level three. When it was back down to level two, then level one, everybody moved. Everybody followed the guidelines. Um, So it was a just a fantastic effort by dentists, and we know. So many people were on JobKeeper, and we were, we'd actually effectively told the profession to, to close their doors, but remain open for emergency cases. You know, and that's a very, very difficult thing for people to do because they're on standby, but dentists did it. They did the absolute responsible thing. And that was about ensuring that that people had access to services. If they had an emergency. And that was as much about keeping people out of our public hospital systems when they were already under pressure. So, certainly, I, I do think ADA did a fantastic job, but it would not have worked if dentists didn't follow. And, you know, they, at the end of the day, they are trained health professionals with excellent um, procedures and policies in place with, with regard to infection control. They understood the issue and they acted very, very responsibly.
1: Yeah, I think you raised some really good points. It wouldn't what the ADA did to lead us through that helped us so much. But the dentists in the community really did a great job as well. And we get into healthcare dentistry because we want to help people. And in this time, I think people stepped up by keeping their doors open, even though perhaps it was um, financially a, not a great decision. We stop people from going to hospitals. That that helps. Um, it's fantastic. I think. Um, you've touched on a few things that really resonate, which is giving back. And, and I want to get to how you then transition to the general manager of filling the gap.
0: So I've worked at ADA New South Wales for the past four years as the head of communications and public affairs. So in that role, I do all the membership comms and marketing. But the public affairs side is very much the stakeholder engagement um, and advocacy and media. And in doing all of that, we um We realized that there's a lot of dentists out there giving back, yet they weren't known um, and so we just wanted to capture that and make sure that that the rest of the community knew that dentists are um, giving back they're helping in their communities, and we haven't captured it at all like when, when we when we come across certain people, you just have to have a conversation with any dentist. And they're they're doing a lot of cases where they're helping people because the local charity is asked or they know they're they're friends on hard times and people have lost their jobs. And um, we just wanted it to be part of dentist stories because there certainly are a lot of people who are giving of their time and and expertise. Um, So really we just wanted um, members to have an opportunity to volunteer and to show that this is part of the dental profession
1: yeah I love that. It really does resonate with I think almost every dentist out there. The filling the gap, the name originally was some another name. it was for a different initiative, or slightly different. Can you tell us a bit about the story of the name and how it became the ADA New South Wales initiative?
0: So we actually did um a staff competition to come up with the name and um and everybody we had some fantastic names, and then everybody voted. And the number one name that came up was Filling the Gap. Oh, it's great. You know, it's clever. That's fantastic. What a great name. Ha ha. And then we looked at it on the register and it was already taken. No. But then it <laughs> it's, um, it turned out that this was actually previously a dental charity um, operating predominantly in Queensland in Indigenous communities and they'd actually folded they couldn't make it, they couldn't sustain the charities. It's, it's very hard work. Um, and so we had conversations with the founders of that charity and they were brilliant and they just came to us and they said, oh, we couldn't think of anything better than giving ADA New South Wales the name to continue the legacy. So it was all transferred to us and, and that's how the, um, and that's how we actually got our name. But um, we've kept their story on our website and some of their case studies. So I think that's quite fitting as well. And they did some amazing work. And I think the thing that has surprised me with filling the gap is mm-hmm. that we, we have started quite small, but every time we have asked for support, it's been forthcoming. So not only from volunteers, but from industry. And for us, the challenge is to get the word out wider. So we, we went to Henry Shine. We're running, um, we run about twelve clinics a year, scheduled at ADA New South Wales in St Leonard's, and we have four chairs. And the way it works, we've partnered with twenty five charities, so charities such as the Red Cross, um, the Salvation Army. We have a, a charity called the Women's Housing Company, Women's Justice Network. Um, We work with the Jesuit Refugee Service, Um, there's St Vincent de Paul, basically a whole different variety of charities. And they're helping clients who are homeless, who are recovering from drug and alcohol addiction, who have been in prison. And the last step is for them to get their teeth fixed before they apply for a job. So we're working with people who can't access mainstream dental services they don't want to wait on the public waiting lists. They want to be able to have a smile that they're proud of so then they can go and get a job. And so patients the patients can't come directly from the public. It's all about being referred through our partner charities. And so they refer someone who has a need for dental treatment and then we either triage them out into one of our volunteer practices or into our clinics. And so the way the clinics work they're scheduled and people just turn up and volunteer their time. We have a clinical supervisor, dental assistants, it's at the ADA New South Wales headquarters, so everything is completely organized and all that we ask is people they just they give their time for that day. And then we have another program, so we run the New South Wales programs for the Australian Dental Health Foundation.
1: Yeah, I was going to touch yeah. on that. Yeah, and so yeah. one
0: of their programs is called Adopt a Patient and that's a brilliant program and basically a dentist will say, yes, I'm happy to happy to volunteer and they it, it's very volunteer-led so it's completely fl- flexible around dentists. So if you want to take one patient a year, that's enough. If you want to take one appointment a week or one appointment a month, that's enough, we'll be completely flexible. And so you say, yes, I'd like to adopt a patient and then you take that patient for a course of treatment and it's typically between one to three, um, one to three appointments that they'll need and we have program, um, program coordinators in our office and they'll work with the practice manager and they just take a, a spare appointment. So if everybody has, if someone has 100% of every appointment in every week taken, then there's probably not a, not a lot of opportunity but you, if you have a spare appointment, we'll make it work around that. So we make it as simple and flexible and as easy as possible for the volunteers. And if you say, "Look, I've got some time. Um, I'd like to take a volunteer one appointment a week, and then you want a break," that's completely fine. We have people who take one patient a year, and then we have um, we have another lovely volunteer who probably has provided hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of pro bono treatment he's been doing it a very long time and he does it at four o'clock on a Friday and, and he says you know I do it at four o'clock on a Friday and if there's no patient then I, I get an early mark
1: yeah, yeah, that's a beautiful way to do it because you're just working it into your day to day, so it doesn't become like a you know a whole day, a whole week, a whole two weeks that you have to put aside and, and pay for your travel, etc. It's just part of your day. except if you don't charge that patient, I think that's just wonderful. And something you mentioned there that I think it's you know worth highlighting. I'm sure all of the dentists and students know this, but the confidence a patient can get from having a smile they're proud of can get them that job to get them that situation they're looking to go towards. And I think we, we've got to remember we can give that to a patient and, and that's probably one of the most fulfilling things we can do. You touched on the um, Australian Dental Health Foundation. Um, what is that? And, and that's separate obviously to filling the gap. Can you tell us how they kind of work together and what that is?
0: Yeah, so the Australian Dental Health Foundation is run out of the federal branch of ADA And then they have coordinators in each state branch. So we administer their programs, and that's the Adopt-A-Patient programs. But we do it under the umbrella of filling the gap. So it's both, really. It's really... Yeah. Yeah, and and what you touched on before about making a difference to people's lives, it really is life-changing. So we had one woman who came to us, and she had a terrible story and she'd been in prison for ice addiction but what had happened like she before she was imprisoned she she just said you know i had the best life i had a fantastic life i was married with children living in sydney's western suburbs full-time job life was brilliant and her son died um when he was just a teenager and then within a year her husband died of cancer And then she was in a world of pain and then she was introduced to ice and she became addicted very quickly. And then to support her habit, she started dealing. And then every day she said she'd wake up and she'd think, well, today's the day I get arrested or I die. And she was in this horrible cycle of drug abuse and addiction. And anyway, she was arrested and was imprisoned. And when she came out of prison, she was very, very determined to make the most of the life that she wanted to live. And she had a lot of support from charities. Um, she found housing and she she she's really got her life back together. But she had terrible teeth, you know, I think because of the, the damage that the ice had done over um, a prolonged period of time. And so we had a dentist who reconstructed her mouth and then she was, went for job interviews and ended up getting a job and they're the sorts of stories and the the final thing was having these beautiful teeth that she could be proud of and turn to the world and smile and they're the sorts of stories we had we had we've been doing a um um a program with the Red Cross for years to help asylum seekers because asylum seekers fall through the gaps it's very difficult to get um access to public health services and they can't afford private dentistry. So they absolutely fall through the gap. So we've had a program with the Red Cross running um, through ADA and now through filling the gap for many years. And I was at a clinic and a man turned up and he was he was very physically quite a large man and he was sort of sitting there and he was he was waiting in the in the in the waiting room. He sort of hunched over and sort of, huff, oh, you know, huffing like this. And I'm thinking, oh, I you God, that's a bit rude. You know, he's only had to wait <laughs> 10 minutes. You know, it's okay. <laughs> but I couldn't communicate with him because he didn't speak English. And anyway, then he lifted up his face and I looked into his eyes and I thought, you're terrified. You're not cranky because you're waiting. You are absolutely terrified. And I've just put myself in his position and I thought this This man, he's obviously here because he's in a lot of pain. He's in a foreign country. He can't speak the language. He's about to lie on his back, which is a very vulnerable position to be in, and then somebody's going to put their hands in his mouth and do all this work and possibly cause, you know, a little bit more pain in the meantime to sort out the problem. And so this guy was terrified. And Anyway, he was in the chair for an hour and a half, and then at the end of it, the dentist held up a mirror and he looked at his mouth and he burst out crying. He was so happy. And then he came back into the waiting room and he walked around and he grabbed everybody's hands who was there walking and he just sort of nodding his head to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And stories like that, with th- that is life-changing.
1: I think that that's... You know, we we can't physically save a life, we're just a dentist, but we can change a life doing something like that. And I think you raise a couple of points there, you know, that beautiful story of of when a patient looks at the change and, and... the emotions so strong it might make them cry. But you also raise a really important point that I like to bring up is patients often when we think they're being rude, they're often just they're terrified, they're they're anxious, and their anxieties um, you know make them present in a way that they might not normally present. And it's so important we recognise that. And to hear you know the way you you describe that it's really good because um, it's. It's important we recognize that, and especially if they're not speaking the same language.
0: The other thing that was quite surprising is I I spoke to one of the the patients afterwards, and and she said, the dentist listened to me, the dentist understood what I wanted, and they helped me. And that's a respect piece. And that's really important. So here's people, they're very vulnerable. They feel like they're the ones that have been locked out of society, society's let them down, and now here they have this very respected health profession professional listening to them and helping them, and that helps restore dignity on another level. Um, and the, 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 National, the Australian Dental Health Foundation was actually founded by Dr David Diggs about 14 years ago now, and he told me a story once And he helps, he likes to help a lot of victims of domestic violence. And he said part of that is because usually they have been dealt this pain, and the cause of that pain has been a male who is supposed to love them, one of the closest people in their lives. And he said, when he's helped a lot of these patients, they've been helped by a male, and he said sometimes there's a connection that this is part of the healing process. I just thought that's a really nice way of looking at it that I'd never thought about before until I was speaking to David about it.
1: You've raised some really... Crucial communication pieces there. I think you could run a whole course on, on helping dentists communicate because it is such a crucial part of what we do. I say to patients as a joke all the time. I say fifty percent of my jobs, um, dentistry, and fifty percent psychology. And what I really mean by that joke, it's usually just to, to help them relax a little bit because I'm saying, look, I work. You know, this is what I do. I work with people. You know, when we're anxious or when going through these situations, and it's so crucial that we understand those pieces of respect and listening and, and giving the patient control and recognising they're in a vulnerable position and recognising their anxieties. So um, I didn't expect to get onto that type of thing with you here today, but you should run a course. <laughs> it's fantastic.
0: <laughs> it's also about being human. Like With with the, um, the gentleman I was referring to before, when I couldn't communicate with him, I was reflecting on it afterwards and I thought I should have just gone over and put my hand on his arm like that's quite a reassuring gesture, and it's just about being human. That's all it is. It's not about needing a psychology degree, um, you know. And I think there's there's gestures like that. Certainly reflecting on COVID, um, I think one of the, the lessons out of that is to realise that we are a community. We're all in this together. You need to take care of yourself and your own health and well being, your families, but also then look. A bit wider and say, you know, we are in it together. And I think in times of crisis, you look at the bushfires as well, you see professionalism and integrity and people working together, and that's the best of Australian society.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I fully agree, and I love the sentiment behind that. Um, let, let's um, look back at the the dental aid programs um, Filling the Gap is doing, and particularly in conjunction with Australian Dental Health Foundation. You've got Adopt a Patient. I love that. So you, you have them come into your practice, and they become part of your practice. You just don't charge them. Um, a rescue day, what's that?
0: So a dental rescue day is when a practice will um, – Close their, close their practice on for half a day or a day or, um, you know, do a Saturday if they're not normally open on a Saturday, and they'll treat a whole number of patients. So if you have four chairs, you might have seven patients per chair and you treat 28 patients. Um, and so it's called a rescue day. So you basically, and that's that's about immediate relief of pain so we're not doing a lot of complicated restorations it's it's mostly basic dentistry um freeing people of pain dealing with decay caries management all of that um and quite often it can be if somebody is like we ran one in Tamworth last year and the Tamworth dentist had a connection with a local charity there so we just did all the organizing so we take all that pressure off because if if we know the demands of running your own dental practice and for someone to individually organise a charity day themselves, that's a very complicated thing, but that's what we're geared up to do. So if you're a dentist in Albury-Wodonga and you have a connection with a local charity and you think that that there are people in there who might need dental treatment but can't access mainstream services, then um, then you can call us and we'll help facilitate it. But we do, at the moment, we have a waiting list of about 200 people.
1: Patients looking for treatment. Yes,
0: yeah. And and the, the, um, the waiting list just keeps growing. There's a huge demand out there. And I think because the public sector is not funded enough, we know it's woefully inadequate. And the government does these band-aid approaches where they've just, the national partnership agreements have only been extended for another year, so it makes it very, very difficult for the public sector to plan their dental treatments beyond a year. Um, obviously, when things were shut down with COVID, waiting lists will grow as well. And, um, and I think there's there's something like 17,000 people in New South Wales alone waiting on the public waiting list for dentures, just for dentures. Just
1: to be able to eat and smile.
0: I know. So I would love to get up a program um, that that helped people get dentures quickly if you if you're instead of waiting for, for two years then you know let's get a program working in conjunction with prosthetists and try to get um, try to get some dentures made for people who haven't got teeth I mean we had one um, we have one volunteer called Dr Andrew Dean and he um, a couple of months ago he restored a woman's teeth and she hadn't had any upper teeth for three years
1: Poor thing. Exactly. The change we can make in that situation. And I, I, I really resonate and love the what Filling the Gap and the, you guys are doing with this because you're connecting the dentists who pr- basically were just either too busy or don't know how to get involved and, and allowing and facilitating that. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, how? Let's go into that. How can a dentist get involved?
0: So, they just have to go to our website. So, it's www.fillingthegap.com. Dot .org.au and there's a drop-down menu that says get involved and you just register your interest. So we actually have a list of all the clinics that we have in St Leonard's for the, for, the, um, for the whole year. So if you're free on one of those dates, you just click on that and register and then our program coordinator is in touch to talk you through everything. So we make sure that you know exactly what to expect and that you're fully informed about what will happen. Um, and then if you're willing to adopt a patient, the same thing happens. You just register your interest um, to adopt a patient. And what I'd say to people is, if you're interested, just put your hand up for one patient. That's all you That's have serious. to do. That's all you have to do. And then get back to us and you say, it's not for me, or that was fantastic, um, You know, send me another patient. And as I said, the, the really critical thing is it is a volunteer-led program. So we have, we have a dentist in Coffs Harbour who says, I just want to help people who have been victims of domestic violence. That's fine. We, we make that happen. People are quite specific. Um, and also we make sure that people are at a point where they're in their lives, they're getting things back on track and they are able to commit to the appointment that's one thing that we do do. In our clinics in St. Leonard's, um, we do we do treat people who are homeless because we have a really strong relationship with a particular charity and they actually, they'll go around and pick them up and their caseworker comes with them. So we know because what what, one of the vulnerable areas of this program is you are, you are dealing with people who have very complicated lives, very complicated medical conditions and part of it is making sure that they do turn up. Um, So if we arrange an appointment for a dentist um, and that patient doesn't turn up, that compromises the program. So we do everything we can to ensure that the patients are absolutely committed to a course of treatment.
1: That's... You're taking away all the problem areas of doing this ourselves and that just I think it's pretty much a no-brainer. Um, obviously, all the dentists out there, the registered practitioners who have the capacity to give can register on the website and find out and adopt a patient or go to one of the clinics. What about students? Is there anything students can do with filling the gap?
0: Well, what we've actually been doing with students recently that is working very well is getting final year students in to our clinics and as DAs. So they've been working alongside the dentists um, in a DA capacity and all the feedback has been fantastic. So they say we're learning and we are helping. So that's working quite well and um, we, we will continue with that.
1: I think that's a fantastic program. I um, I did a lot. Everyone probably knows this. I've done a lot of dental assisting before I became a dentist um, many, many years. And I think that helped me a lot. So if you're a student and you're not already dental assisting with a, a practitioner in private practice, I think you should. Um, and if you're you know, not or if you are, and you can take your skills to these clinics and you can help. So there's another foundation called Zhu Qi, I hope I pronounced that right, um, I did a day with them just dental assisting and basically just doing STERI but I was still learning from the dentist there and giving back and I think they're fantastic ways for students to to make their little mark before they're actually a registered practitioner. I want to make another point and it's, it's obvious but it's worth saying is that as dentists, we have a skill that... Uh, Many other people don't have, but it's also something that many people need. And so, we can, you know, you can give a few dollars here or do this and that, but something we can do is to give our skills and it's really the what Filling the Gap's doing, what um, ADHF doing is facilitating our ability to do that. I think it's just fantastic. Um, We had a a listener question from uh, our Instagram page. Um, Can people from interstate volunteer with Filling the Gap?
0: Not with Filling the Gap. So, so we're, we, we're operating in New South Wales, but they can with ADHF. So the, there's the Australian Dental Health Foundation runs the Adopt-A-Patient Program and the Dental Rescue Days nationally. So all they have to do, if you're in another state, all you have to do is call your local ADA branch, and talk to the coordinator who's running the Australian Dental Health Foundation programs. And you can absolutely volunteer with them. We really, really need volunteers. So if people have any time, it would be any spare appointments. It makes such a difference. My dream is to get 10% of dentists volunteering. That would make an incredible difference.
1: What is it now? It's
0: tiny. The, the, it, there's a very small proportion of incredibly generous people carrying quite a big load.
1: So if everyone's listening out there, let's all, let's all make our difference. Many, many hands make light work. That's a good saying. Tell us a bit about the ag- advocacy Filling the Gap does.
0: So Filling the Gap is we advocate on a whole range of issues and the major ones are equity of access, So basically, the whole position is that people should have equitable access to oral health care. And I think there's opportunities on a whole range of of scales. And there's also opportunity, I think, because there's limitations on the public sector and public dentists work incredibly hard in quite challenging circumstances but at the end of the day, the federal-state funding is is not enough to sustain the demand. That's why we have waiting lists. So I think there's opportunities for um, both the federal government and the state government to look at the capacity in the private sector and see if there's opportunities to use the private sector to help treat patients who can't have access. And I think that's one of the things that that we like to make noises about. Um, and there's also there's very, very big challenges in regional and remote areas, where especially where there's no flu ride in communities. Um, we know all the, the indicators for Aboriginal communities, Aboriginal people um, in relation to oral health care outcomes are much lower than compared to um, other Australians. And so that's an issue that we need to be advocating for, I think, as a profession as well. Um, And I just think prevention. At every level, we need to be advocating about prevention. And health systems don't do prevention. We don't have a great record of prevention. Government certainly doesn't fund prevention programs anywhere near the need that it has to. And I think we have a responsibility as a profession to keep pushing that message. And it's quite different with the public because When do you go and see your your GP? Once you have a problem. When do you go and see the physio? Once your muscles soar. And so we are actually geared up to go to a health professional once the problem has occurred. And so I think if there is one universal message for everyone working in dentistry is prevention, prevention, prevention. And we have to get people in the habit of going to the dentist before there's an issue. You know, people talk a lot about the cost of dentistry and people who miss out on dental treatment because of the expense. And so one of the solutions is prevention. If you have good oral hygiene practices and, you know, you practice on a daily basis, cleaning your teeth twice a day, we all know it, reducing sugar, drinking fluoridated water and visiting the dentist regularly, chances are you won't have a lot of problems. So we just have to keep pushing that message
1: I think it's something that I think dentists, it's easy for us to almost forget our role in in getting that message out there. And I don't think our role, and this is just me thinking my own private opinion, but um, it's not necessarily to get a public mes- message out there, but it is definitely to convey that message to our patients. And a lot of us as dentists will see emergency patients who only come when they have a problem. And and it's not to make them feel bad or anything like that. It's just to, to let them know gently that, you know, it, We can catch these things that are smaller and we can fix them easier and simpler and cheaper if we, you know, do preventative measures because some patients don't even realise that it's normal or it's ideal to come to the dentist every six months or so. Um, It's really, really good points. You also, you say with advocacy and talking about prevention, you do some education programs. Um, Tell us a bit about that as well.
0: Well, this is really in its infancy, but what we'd like to get up and running more broadly is a network of dentists who will go into schools and go into childcare centers and go into their communities and deliver those health messages. And so we can wrap that around things like Dental Health Week. So if there's dentists out there who maybe aren't ready to volunteer in um, performing treatment but have connections with their local school, their local child center or a particular event, then going into a school and an assembly and, and giving all the good oral health messages, that's, that makes such a difference to so many people.
1: That's, that's a great one, actually, and um, I'm going to tie this into something and I am no idea if you, this is your thoughts, but I hear with the volunteering side of things, Adopt-A-Patient Rescue Days, you're facilitating dentists to be able to do it. So, um, you know, all these unknowns that we, we're not sure how to do this or how to get our patients or et cetera, and you can facilitate that and help us organize it, but then with the education, you're facilitating and helping us organize our outreach. The other side of that coin for many dentists who work in private practice, and often when we're graduates, we... Th- kind of do these kinds of things, we might go into the school or the, the preschool or et cetera and do these little talks ourselves, but we don't have that backing and support um, and information flow from an organisation. Is that what you're kind of looking to provide? Because I can see that as being very win-win.
0: Yes, definitely. And we've got, we have resources as well that we can send dentists to give out to the students. So, that's the other thing. You know, it's great to be able to go there and have these conversations and hand things out. So, If anyone is interested in doing some education, then please again on our website um, go and enter your details and, and we'll be in touch.
1: That's that's great. And a little side note: we're in, you know, COVID nineteen dentistry has been hit. Jobs are tough. Um, it you know it, it can be hard, and I am sure there is some dentists listening who are not working as much as they want. Um, something you might be able to do for your practice is to to lead this charge, to set this up, to get the information from filling the gap in the ADA, and to go and do these little reach out days with the schools and and build your following in that way. I think young dentists or early stage dentists have a huge role in that, and and can do it well too.
0: That's right, and volunteering is part of a network. So when people come into the clinic days in at ADA New South Wales, then there's there's five dentists, five DAs. Then there's the ADA staff who usually come down and thank everybody at lunchtime. So you, it's it is a fantastic networking opportunity, especially if you are in the job market.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's a really good point. It's it's always win-win if we're getting ourselves out there. Um, so you work with some corporate sponsors as well to help support Filling the Gap. Tell us about that. How does Filling the Gap um, survive? Is it completely um, supported by ADA or or sponsors? And um, what do you need in that regard?
0: So ADA New South Wales provides a lot of support, a lot of staff expertise and in-kind support, and Filling the Gap sits within the branch at ADA New South Wales. So without ADA New South Wales, we wouldn't exist. Secondly, we have um, a funding grant from New South Wales Health And that helps support our program coordinators. And they really like the model in that they, um, you know, we have the program coordinators and we have a network of dentists to draw from to volunteer their time. So in their eyes, they have to justify that money because it's taxpayers money. But the actual output that we have um, proves the model. So, Last year, or over the past year, we've had more than 70 volunteers provide over 500 500 appointments and provide dental treatment to the value of about $330,000. So it's a fantastic effort from everyone. We also have um, support from the Pacific Smiles Group. So they provide a lot of financial support to the Australian Dental Health Foundation and, um, Without them, the the programs wouldn't exist, so they're very generous. And also um, Henry Shine Hallis, they help support our clinic with consumables um, because that's another expense. So for us, basically we we do need more um, industry support and, you know, I'd, I'd love some corporate support because we are only limited by our resources. I mean, I would love to see, this is just an idea, But I would love to see us get up and running, and this might be a five-year plan, but a dental clinic that um, is a social enterprise. So say if you had four chairs and you run three chairs as you would a normal dental practice, but that subsidises the fourth chair, which you provide free dental treatment to people who are referred. So something like that, you know, to have a network of, Um, dental clinics across Australia running as a social enterprise I think that would be amazing
1: I I think that is absolutely amazing I think you've got a good vision there and I hope to see changes just like you said before your dream is to see 10% of dentists um, you know volunteering in these kinds of programs I think um, you know it's to be, to be honest, it's a little sad how we're not already there. And uh, I think a lot of dentists are sitting there listening to this. Um, you know, myself included. I have not been a part of this program yet, and I'm definitely going to be trying to get involved. Um, but there's, you know, seventy volunteers. There's over ten thousand or seventeen thousand dentists or something. Um, I think we can do that. And I think if people are listening and are even interested in any way, reach out. It's that's amazing.
0: Yeah, I think the message is. As you say, we're facilitating it. So we are trying to make it as easy as possible for people. So so once you're in the program, you won't even notice. And a patient will, will come along and you, you'll provide that treatment as you would any other patient. And when we look at that across the board and add up the number of appointments that we're having and the number of people that, that we're helping, you know, I'm a big believer if everybody just gives a little bit, we can change the world.
1: 1% rule. I love it. Um, that's so good. I want to ask a few quick questions just to nail in about getting patients within your practice. Um, so how do we do it? Well, we obviously contact you guys. Um, charities nominate people in the area and then they'll um, be appointed with us. Um, how, how do you select them? Is, is it the charity will just nominate and you take that or is there any other things going on? Yes. Yeah,
0: so we have, as I said, we have 25 charities that we partner with and they're all listed on our website as well. Um, And they will refer people to us um, who are in need of treatment. So we have a waiting list at any point in time. And at the moment, there's over 200 people. And then we do a matching system. So if you're based in Wagga, then we'll find, you know, the the patient will be in Wagga. Um, If the the patient is based in Western Sydney, then we match that person with a dentist in, in Western Sydney so there's a, there's a lot of um, a matching process that goes on. Um, and, and basically, we work with the volunteers. So it's, as I said, it, it's run by the volunteers, it's led by the volunteers. So we find out what, what the dentist wants, what their preference is, how often they want to treat someone, and then we make sure that, that we, we ensure that, that the patient we send to them meets that criteria.
1: Off the top of the, your head, is there any area that's in dying need Right now,
0: yeah, we we really really need dentists in Western Sydney and the inner city. That's where we really really need people. All
1: right. And, well, and if you're in those is, areas, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and and just people who could do a dental rescue day, that's that's a great opportunity as well. But by far, that I think the best outcomes for a patient is when we do the adopt a patient program because they get a course of care.
1: Yeah, more specific course of care, exactly. It's a little bit like in public system where we might get um, relief of pain vouchers versus a general care voucher and and the difference is very significant in what we can do for those patients. Um, Is there any risks um, for dentists? Is there any insurance differences or anything we should be thinking about outside of our normal practice or is it just exactly the same?
0: It's exactly the same and we've never had any issues. If anything, the patients are so grateful that they're getting treatment and relief of pain.
1: Yeah, you get you get paid in gratitude. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> that would make it worth it entirely. In the context of, you know, volunteering, dentistry and all the rest of it, have there been some tough times? I know filling the gap is relatively young in its current form, um, but are there any tough times it's gone through or, or things that have been challenges you've got through in recent times?
0: Look, the biggest challenge we have is managing the waiting list. Um, it Just because people keep getting added and we, we can't, treat people fast enough that's the reality so really we just we, we need more dentists to, to help
1: if there's one thing and I, this this might I, I, at the end of a podcast i like to ask you know the one thing that someone might teach other themselves as an early dentist or or if they could teach all the dentists um one one thing and it's a little bit you know out of context you know not being a dentist but if there's one thing you could teach all the young dentists out there what would that be
0: <laughs> I'm not a dentist, so that's a hard. I think communication thing. Um, might be one of them. <laughs> yeah, it would probably be around communication. I guess patient communication. Um, I work with the recent graduates a lot. In um, I work with the recent graduates committee, and that's one of the things that they raise as being an issue that they feel they're probably not adequately prepared for. That is having difficult conversations with patients. Um, and also convincing the patient of the need for the treatment plan and making them see the medical need for that. Um, So, look, I think think communication is something that you use in every aspect of your life. It doesn't matter what job you're in and it's something that you continually learn to get better at as you go along.
1: It's it's so true, it's relationships, it's interpersonal skills, it's everyday and yes it will help us a lot in our dentistry and our communication with our patients but it will help us with our staff and our family and our friends and and our interactions in everyday life so it's it's so important. So we've talked a lot in this podcast obviously about filling the gap and and giving back. I want to tie this all together at the end here with you just letting us know the one thing that you want all dentists to do to make this change in the future.
0: I think when it comes to volunteering, the bigger picture is looking at the Australian health system and the fact that the mouth is left out of it. The mouth is the one part of the body that is not funded under our current health system. And so the result of this is that a lot of people don't have access to the treatment they need to maintain their health. So for me, the bigger picture of Filling the Gap is about a profession and an industry standing together and saying oral health matters and it's about standing up and saying there is a problem and it's about standing together and saying we all need to be part of the solution.
1: That's Absolutely perfect and we all can be a part of that solution because of the support from teams like Filling the Gap and Australian Dental Health Foundation. I think this has been absolutely fantastic and eye-opening to see that it is possible and perhaps even easy for us to make this change in our practices wherever we are in New South Wales and around Australia with ADHF. Thank you, Kate, for spending the time with us today on the Dental Head Start Podcast.
0: It's a pleasure, David, and thanks for your interest.
1: cpd is expensive travel time away from work hotels it all adds up imagine being able to see the content from world-renowned speakers from all over the globe learn about restorative full mouth work communication surgery and tons more all from the comfort of your own home no travel costs no hotels that all exists and is getting better every day on the Ripe Academy from Restoring Excellence. For just $29 US per month, you'll get access to some of the best online content and save thousands on the real-life course equivalents. In fact, if you look really closely, you'll actually see me on there. I paid thousands for that course. It was awesome and now it's just $29 US a month to see the same stuff. Find out more on the Ripe Dentistry Group or at RestoringExcellence.com.